<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hello, my darlings. So, you know, the topic of pregnancy and postpartum is prevalent in my life. And my experience is truly just my own, which is why I always strive to give you guys as much of the resources that I can on this podcast. That's why Brandy is here. Brandy, if she allows, if I can beg her to, if you're not too busy, will definitely be my doula for my next pregnancy. She is great. For over two decades, she has been helping new families through pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, and just the overall adjustment to new life. She's a board-certified lactation consultant, a pediatric sleep specialist, a newborn care specialist, and she has a master's of social work from USC. And in 2009, she opened The Cradle Company, which I recommend you all look at. It's a great resource center for pregnancy and postpartum. She also founded the National Association of Birth Workers of Color. In this episode, we discuss how she balances international travel and relocation with her kids because she splits her time between the U.S. and France. She's also lived in the Philippines, which is super cool. I think a lot of us are exploring that option, right? Uh, especially, you know, as someone with a husband and three children, I had a lot of questions. She had her six week old sleeping through the night. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how to advocate for yourself in the hospital, all her breastfeeding tips, because, you know, I didn't make it past two months and what gentle parenting is. Brandy has the coolest energy, the energy that you want during this process. She's absolutely who I will be working for with my next pregnancy. Like I said, if she will take me because she just gets it. Her power is so soothing. So please, please, please enjoy. Okay. Hi, Brandy. Hi, Pia. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Where are you right? You're in LA right now. I'm in LA right now. Okay. For a bit. It's always like kind of where's Waldo, but I know. <laughs> so <laughs> but cool. I'm here until September, then I'll go to Houston for a little bit and then back to France. Where did you grow up? I grew up in Houston. You grew up in Houston. Yeah, I grew up in Houston. I came to LA for college and never left. You're a Trojan, right? I'm a Trojan. <laughs> and yeah. So I've actually lived in LA longer than I lived in Houston at this point. And then four it's years ago, when you get old and you're I like, know. wait a second. <laughs> I'm in LA longer. So that means I'm really old. <laughs> so, and four years ago, we started making that split between 
south of France and here. Before we get into your, you know, background and what you do and how I need to know how you ended up doing that split and how it works and what you think about it. Uh, I'll start with it's amazing. And I wish I would have done it even 10 years ago. Really? Okay. Yeah. And people, I mean, so my kids now are five, seven and 15. When we first started, like they were two months, two and 10. Yeah. And we left to move to Thailand. (gasps) The little island, like literally we looked at a dot. We'd never, we'd never been there. We were just like, my son was going to French school in Los Angeles. was like, where has a French school? He was going to Lila. Oh, that's Um, why I want to send Carmela. um, (laughs) Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, he went to Lila and Los Feliz uh, from preschool on. Uh, And then we... It was, I was pregnant with my third kid. I had a brick and mortar in Pasadena and I hated retail. I was like, I like to buy things. I don't like to sell things. Like Where in I, Pasadena, by the way? Because Hill in Washington. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. I was living in New York at the time, but I, you know, I grew up in Pasadena. Oh yeah. So we're at Hill in Washington and it was amazing. And, but I hated like being there from nine. I'm not a nine to five or even if it's yeah. my own thing. Mm-hmm. I hated being there. I was pregnant with my third and hormonal was like, I have to leave LA or I'm just going to work. And this is probably my last baby. And so I was like, I want to go overseas. Where's warm? Where do they have a French school? And we saw that Thailand had a bunch of them. So we literally just like looked wow. at all the towns that had them. We called two in this one little island and the guy was like, when can you guys come? What do you do? Was like, he's like, just send us a thing. And I was like, this is easy. And so that's what we did. So we went to Thailand, sight unseen. And I mean, I had been to Thailand, but I hadn't been to this island. My husband had never been. And so we went with a two-month-old. What does he do for work that you guys can be so flexible? He's a life coach. Yeah, yeah. So we have flexible lives. Yeah. Yeah, we went there and then we got like island fever after about seven months. It was like, yeah, I like the beach, but like, I'm not like a beach, beach person. Island fever is real. Yeah. So we left there and went to Saigon, Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam. And wow. that was, it was like my dream as a kid, like growing up in Houston, like there's such a strong Vietnamese culture, like I mm-hmm. always wanted to go. And so like to be there with my kids and like living there and it was amazing. And so I kind of was already prepped for this kind of like back and forth. I was able to see like my business didn't fall apart. I was still able to make money working 40% less than what, you know, I'd been conditioned mm-hmm. that I needed to do. And so when we came back to LA, I literally wrote on Facebook, like, I just want to explore the South of France for two or three months. And some random person on Facebook messaged me and was like, this woman is looking for a doula in France and she wants someone to speak French. And I was like, I don't live in France. I don't, like, I don't speak French. This isn't for me. Yeah. And she was like, you should just talk to her. So I basically emailed a lady and she lived in my neighborhood. So you live in LA, you know how random that would That's be. So like she random. lived in Atwater Village. And I was like, what? <laughs> I walked to her house, like thinking like, this is not for me, but I was going to help her find someone. And she was actually brokering it for her friend, um, slash client who was with Julia Stiles. And basically I was like, yeah, this, yeah, the job isn't for me. Like I don't do any of the things this thing is asking for. And so it's not going to work. And so hour later, she was like, she still wants to meet you. I FaceTimed her. And before I took the FaceTime, I told my husband, if I take this call, like, we're going to have to move to France. Like, are you cool with that? Like I just knew in my bones. And he was like, yeah, cool. So I talked to her. She hired me for FaceTime. I had 23 days to pack up my house of 11 years and get to France for six no! months. I had a six-month doula contract. And that's how it started. But we were never planning to stay there. It was a six-month contract. She was having her baby and she was filming a TV show, an English TV show in Nice. And so that's how it started. It just so happens that my husband also happens to be French and my kids speak French. 
So we got there, did the six months. We're like, this is kind of amazing. Let's just finish the school year because it's amazing. And then it was summertime. I was like, well, who leaves the South of France yeah, for the summer? Really Let's just stay for the summer. <laughs> and they were like, let's try another school year. And then the pandemic happened. They were like, oh, oh now we live here. Perfect. And so we pretty much <laughs> stayed there the whole pandemic. And that's the story. Of, is it, are you in Nice? We're in Nice, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> we're actually like in a little village that's one kilometer from Nice. So oh, okay. for anyone else, you would think it's Nice, but it's actually like a little village on the sea. We were just in Marseille. Yeah, really oh, cool. I love Marseille. I saw you, were you in Saint-Tropez? Yeah. You were closer to me in Saint-Tropez. So we were, we were landed like in, in the rear, so you're close. Yeah. It's my, my cousin did the same thing with her husband and their marriage ended up falling apart, but they moved to Bonneau. That I say. Oh, yeah. So everyone from Marseille said the same thing. They were like, that's not the town. <laughs> that's not the town. It's not. <laughs> that's not the town of dreams. Like, yeah, yeah. So I definitely think I had that- never been in Nice. <clears throat> and my husband's from France, but he's not from that part. He's from Provence, but higher up, like, you know, underneath Lyon and like that kind of area. But so he'd never lived there. I'd never been there. And so it was really just, we really had the plan to only be there for six months. I was like, what's a better way to go than like someone paying me? And mm-hmm helping with relocation and all that. And it just being, being amazing. Like for me, it's helped me to appreciate more things about the United States, but it's also helped me to see how many things we normalize as normal that aren't normal. Yes. And I think that's a very healthy attitude. Like, you know, my husband and I, every time we come back from Italy, we'll do a podcast, like recapping how the trip was and what, you know, how you very obviously see Americans in Europe and how shocking that is. And, And then and then we come back and, and, you know, we're very careful to say, like, there are so many things that are wonderful here that mm-hmm. are impossible there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it, there are great things about both. How do you split your time right now? So now, so we've had like this huge back and forth, like what to do, because now my oldest is starting by French t- European terms, he's starting high school in September. Okay. And so we had this big conversation of like, you know, we have to like be put for nine months of the year because yeah, he can't yeah. do the back and forth in high school. And so we had to kind of come to like, okay, let's just come back, you know, nine months in the States, three months in France. Let's just do that. Let him finish out his three years of high school because high school is three years there. And we were like, if it's not the right thing, we'll get a sign. Literally one hour later, Uvaldi happened. Oh God. And so we we're like, um, I think that's a sign, yeah. but okay, let's just keep like, we were like, got a realtor looking for like a bigger place. Our place that we have in LA was like not meant for our surprise third kid. And so we were looking around all the things and then like, you know, Roe v. Wade, my husband's like, yeah, this is just too like vibey mm-hmm. for me. Like, I think this is not it, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, it's like, I don't see us retiring in the United States as much as like we, my family's here. It's my life. I'm American, yeah. but he's like, I just don't see us retiring here. So I don't understand like why we'd make that decision right now. So the way that we're going to be splitting our time is that we would probably spend nine months in Nice now and part of the summer here. And then obviously like I'm probably here every eight to 10 weeks, no matter what. Because okay. Just, so that's how you do it with work. Yeah. Like I didn't have to really worry about during pandemic because everything was online. And yeah. for my work, most of it still is online. But like, if I want to like do meetings in person or like, if I'm ha- like, for example, next week I have this live event happening in Altadena, just like kind of a oh, women's I kind, of that. kind of thing. I'll send it to you. And it's just like, like empowerment and manifestation, setting clear goals and just being in a room with like cool people, basically. <laughs> I like people. So I definitely have... Like, I think 
I think there might for for many women expecting or thinking about getting pregnant and thinking about the support that they want during their pregnancy, there are you know many different options, right? Mm-hmm. And and I think that what you're doing somewhere kind of in the middle of like support, but it doesn't have to be this in-person thing, I think is really impactful because mm-hmm. I felt like I had to do all or nothing when mm-hmm. I was pregnant and wanted something that was tailored more to, an ex, you know, I wanted, I definitely wanted a birth in a hospital, but I leading up to it, I wanted a doula experience. I also wanted the support at the hospital so I could feel like I had an advocate and it wouldn't, you know, I wanted all of those things and I, and I wanted to labor at home as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm, I am very thankful for my birth, but now I know for hopefully God willing, my second that I would do that. I, what I would do differently, you know, I think it's really amazing that you allow all of these choices. I mean, you are a lactation consultant. I mean, name all the things that you are certified for. So I have been a doula since 2001 when nobody was doing it except for like country granola people and celebrities (laughs) (laughs) like you know this the uber rich um so i've been doing that since 2001 and actually doing this work you know being in people's homes i was like i knew that i was not equipped to deal with like the social emotional things that were happening in the home and so Mm. that's when i went back to school and got my master's in social work because so like this one this one client i had in the middle of the night the dad took off to vegas because he just couldn't handle anymore like day three postpartum like he like left and like in the middle of the night, like 1 a.m., got a car, went to the <laughs> airport, went to Vegas. Oh. And so I have this like naked three-day postpartum mom like crying to me from like 2 to 5 a.m. Oh. Like, what should I do? And I mean, at the time I was probably 25, 26. I don't know. I'm trying to figure my life out. You know, yes. like, I am, like I know about the babies. I know how to help you breastfeed. Like, I don't know how to help your marriage, <laughs> you know? And so like, I'm just reassuring her and I'm just like, WTF. Like, this is like too much for me to handle. And I was like, I want to be able to deal with every single thing that happens in a home and do it with like expertise. Mm-hmm. You know, my personality is like, I need to know everything about everything. And so... I went back and got my master's and it's like one of the best decisions I made because I feel like, you know, yes, I'm a doula, but I feel like I bring so much more to the table because my background is so varied in that. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I worked in maternal child health and postpartum depression and, you know, childhood sexual abuse, like all the things that people have dealt with that yes. come up when you have a kid. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I can help people with that and, and go farther than I would, would have been able to before just with my doula training. And so I did my master's in social work and was a therapist and I'm a lactation consultant. I have done a lot of work with sleep. Like a lot of people know me originally from like the work I did with sleep and, you know, in a gentle way, but also helping people to realize like there's things you can do from the beginning that don't require sleep training. Like my goal is that everyone that no one ever slept train, if they just knew certain things to do when they came from the hospital that lay the healthy foundation. Like what? It's so like all three of my kids, I've never sleep trained them and they all were sleeping through the night by six weeks. My daughter slept through the night at three weeks and they were exclusively breastfed for anyone that's thinking like, they know they must've been having a bottle, you know? <laughs> and so oh my God. from the beginning, so I was always in charge of the feedings and I'm not meaning like that I was so structured that like you can only eat at these times. Like if my baby's hungry, I'm going to feed my baby. But for the most part, if they're really fed well and you have a really good nutritive feed, 
I basically did all dream feeds. Like I didn't feed on demand at night at all. Like I was okay. setting an alarm, getting up a certain time. I was like kind of beating them to the wake ups. So they never had that association with breastfeeding and sleep. And then little by little, I would just stretch them over time. And so like, okay, cool. for the past five days, you slept three and a half hours. I'm going to move that clock to three hours and 45 minutes. Or I'm going to move it to four hours. And like little mm-hmm. by little, I made those changes. And then like, you know, three, six, seven weeks in, they would just be sleeping. And by that, I mean, like I was still doing like a dream feed at 10 or 11 PM and they would get up at like six or seven. How do you do, so with a newborn, how do you do, like if the baby wakes up crying, I know Carmel, I was really lucky. She, we automatically got on a three hour Mm -hmm. cadence right away. I knew I didn't want an on-demand feed. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted her to sleep through the night because I had to get back to, like, I didn't take a day off. Mm -hmm. Most of my clients are working. Exactly. So that's why I say like, I'm, I, I slept, trained her at four months, but it really didn't take long and she didn't mind. And she wasn't in there screaming, crying for a long time. But I think like what you're not saying that actually is like, you are creating almost like a healthy boundary with your child. From the beginning. Yes. Like I want to sleep the same bed with my husband. I want to sleep with my husband. Like how many times do I do a sleep console and people tell me like they haven't had sex in six months? That's not something I'm into. No. (laughs) Like I'm not trying to do that. My husband's definitely not into having the kids in our bed. And for people who want to do that, I think that's fine and wonderful and great if it works for you. But I work, my husband works. Most of my clients are working parents. And even if they're not working parents, they just want to be rested and they want to like be present during the day and not feel like their cup is always empty. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from the beginning, yes, there were for me. And like, is it more work in the beginning? A little bit? Yes, because I'm setting an alarm. I'm getting up. I wasn't doing like the sleepy kind of like sideline feed in the bed because I know I would just pass out. And then, you know, he might be breastfeeding for like two hours later because I would fall asleep. And so like I had to sit up or get in a chair. And so there was a little bit more intentionality that had to happen. I wouldn't say that it was harder. It was just like, this is what's important to us. We want our kids to be able to go to sleep on their own. For me personally, I know so many adults who can't sleep well and Mm -hmm. people don't understand that sleep is a learned skill. And so this idea that like forever, like you're not going to be able to stick a boob into your kid's mouth forever. Like they're going to have to be able to fall asleep on their own at some point, or you will be the family where you're still having to like stay in the room for two hours for your nine-year-old to go to bed. And that's just not something that I personally am into. I'm not either. And I had a friend tell me that she, you know, her first child, she didn't know she was doing on-demand feedings. They had these really long sleep routines where it would take two hours and she was bouncing him. And then it had to be this song and then this and this whole routine. And then she's like, with my second, I implemented, you know, some sort of like sleep structure and did this three-day sleep solution, which is what I did for Carmela. And she's like, my kid sleeps so much, can sleep anywhere I can put it, we, we travel, he can, mm-hmm. it's like totally no big deal. And it's a major difference between the two kids. And I just thought to me, you know, doing a little bit of work at the beginning to get them to be almost more like independent and comfortable, comfortable being alone in a room, comfortable mm-hmm. going back to sleep seemed like a, I don't want to say- It's better, a lifelong but, family it, value. Like we yes. value sleep in our home. And so we take naps as adults, you know, our kids have a bedtime. My kids ask me to go to bed. 
Like it's so part of the routine. Like uh, what time do they my, go to bed? My little ones now go to bed usually around 8 p.m. And my oldest, who's a teenager and like most of his teen friends, like don't have a bedtime. They can stay up and they can manage themselves, but he doesn't do that. So on school nights, he's in bed by 10 or 10 30 because he has yeah, to be right. up early. And if he doesn't have anything going on, I still have him going to bed between like 11 and midnight. And that might seem a strain, but kids need their sleep. It's the only time that your brain cleans itself. It's the only time that you get the biggest doses of like growth hormones for children. And so they need the sleep. And, yeah. you know, we made that like a priority in our house and we weren't super overtired new parents. Like people always ask me like, oh my God, how are you guys we doing? Either. The we three, were out having two under dinner. two. How are you guys doing? We're like, we're actually pretty good. Oh, I felt. You know? I'm good. I but know how I, I felt. But people, I, I think that there's this, this misconception that like by doing it the other way, that you're like showing that you love your kid more or that you're more attuned to them. And that's fine if you want to take that belief. Yeah. But I think that what people need to be thinking about, like, how does it actually serve you? And I think the most loving thing that you can do for your kids is making sure that you're really supporting yourself and your couple as well. Davide and I made the decision when I was pregnant to choose us first, mm -hmm. because if we weren't aligned, Carmela wouldn't be in a loving, healthy environment. We're snappy. He's very Italian. He is short tempered. And I didn't want late night issues to arise where we're fighting about a feeding or fighting over a diaper mm -hmm, or fighting mm -hmm. over doing something wrong and having it tear us apart. And we, that was a really strong value in our relationship and we stuck to it. And I've never felt more, I've never been more in love or closer to my husband since having our baby. Yeah. Like we're definitely closer. I mean, we have three and so we're busy, <laughs> but it's just like the value. Like, you know, people are like, how do you take a, you know, 12 hour flight with your kids? It's like, it's normal for them. Mm -hmm. It's not a big deal to my kids to get on a flight for two hours. Like, first of all, my kids only have screen. My little ones only have the screens when they're on the flight. So it's yeah. like a big deal because they get the iPad or whatever. So exciting. We've told, we told them previously that it doesn't work at home. <laughs> <laughs> I think my seven-year-old has figured out that it does. But <laughs> she's like, dad uses it. I don't understand why it doesn't work for us. But, so they're getting like this unlimited kind of screen time. We do, we bribe them with candy. So like before we even take off, my five-year-old's like, okay, like where's the snacks? Where's the thing? Yeah. But like they're entertaining themselves. Like it's not a big deal for them. They nap, they sleep, they're whatever. My teenager is like doing what they do on their phones, you know? Yeah. And I think people think that they're waiting for their kids to get to a certain age to travel. And I'm always saying like, you get to prep your kids for travel. Like that's part of my kid's lifestyle. Like it doesn't seem weird to them to get on a plane. Like my daughter will say like, oh, like we've been on a plane in like forever. Like when are we going somewhere? Like during the pandemic. And I was just like, most kids don't have that as like their norm to travel so much. And totally. so I think that, people think that traveling with un with young kids is like a burden, but I found it to be like one of the most rewarding things for myself as a parent has been able to show them the world in many different ways. And not to say that it's not sometimes tiring to travel with kids and they whine and they do what kids do, but it's been such a beautiful experience to show the world with them and be with them and have these experiences with them. We found it bonding. We took her with us to Italy last month and, you know, we... She was really little when we first took her. Now she's one. She's more of an opinion. She makes noises. She had more of a routine. And we looked at each other, you know, there was no direct flights, whatever. So we looked at each other on the layover and we were both like, you know what? This is very, to, to enter something that potentially could be scary. And then we're like, what's the worst that happened? She cries. Like, mm -hmm. what is that? Who cares? Like, 
Yeah, get over it, people. Babies get, cry on planes. Babies like, cry on planes. You don't and, want and that it, charter a private jet. Like, I don't want to tell you. And that's what I'm like. <laughs> like. And then your panicked energy makes the other, it, exactly. it, it makes it all. So we were like, we had glasses of wine. We're like, we're going to be cool and cozy. We're going to feel really calm and confident. And we found that it was very bonding to almost put ourselves in what would be considered an uncomfortable situation and coming out strong on top or getting through it together with the hard stuff regardless, because we were like, this is what life is about. Like there's going to be jobs and schools and friendships and relationships Mm -hmm. that are all going to be uncomfortable. And we can't show her that being uncomfortable should be something that's fearful. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm sure everyone has met with an adult who can't deal with discomfort and that's not usually a good thing. And so I think it starts with us as parents. Like I'm okay with my kids being uncomfortable. Would I like for them not to be uncomfortable? Sure. Like I want to help them, but I know it's not going to kill them to be uncomfortable. And so Mm -hmm. there has been like we missed flights and we've been stuck in like had layovers or someone got sick out of town. Like, you know, those things happen, but like we didn't make it like it was the end of the world. It was kind of just like, mm-hmm. okay, that happened. Let's figure this out. Or sometimes we look at each other and be like, what were we thinking? <laughs> like, what? And it's like a funny, like, memory. Like, okay, like this one has diarrhea. This one's throwing up <laughs> on us. And this one is angry because the place we were supposed to go to closed. Or like, we took my daughter to Disney Paris. Like, we're not big Disney people. Uh-huh. And hopefully, Disney's not listening to this if they want me to like, <laughs> promote something for them, but, <laughs> but we're just, in we're not, case, big Disney her people. Email will be in which case in I'm really into Disney, but <laughs> we're not big Disney people. Like I've lived in LA, what, 20 plus years. Yeah. And I've been to Disneyland twice and only to take my kid, not because I want to go. And so my little daughter's in that stage where she knows about princesses and stuff. So we're like, okay, we're gonna go to Disney Paris because it's going to be, you know, less lines, a little yeah. bit more chill. Well, what we did know is that they run Disney Paris the way that French people run business. And so we like her whole thing that she wanted to see the princess. She wanted to see the princesses. We like did all this other stuff and like we didn't go right away. So we went to the princess house and it was like their hours were from nine oh, to four. Shut up. <laughs> they were closed. Because of four, like, they're all like, at their nap. What? Like, what do you mean like the princes are off at four? Like what? <laughs> And so we were there all day. We did not see one no. Disney character. They weren't walking around. The they were off on I don't know what they were doing on Siesta or whatever the case. Like now we gotta do it over because she went to Disney and didn't see one character. Oh my God, that is so funny. So oh we're just like that was the biggest waste of time and money. And now it's we actually gotta do it again. So Euro life. Try to get a diaper at four o'clock in Italy. That is like yeah, like <laughs> try to get anything after 9.30 p.m., you know, in France. Like everything is closed. Like and Sundays and 9.30 p.m., like forget it. If you've been to an airport lately, then you've definitely seen a Dagny Dover bag, especially if you've traveled to the same airport where my mother has been because she stole mine. Dagny Dover was founded by three women based in New York City. It is a performance bag brand. They have backpacks, gender neutral baby bags, work and commuter totes, toiletry organizers, and hands-free crossbodies. I also have the daily tote in Pinto, which my mother also has stolen from me. I clearly need to get more. These bags are incredible. And why my mom keeps stealing them from me is because she's not somebody who organizes a bag. She throws everything in there. It's a disaster. The Dagny Dover bags have a pocket for absolutely everything. 
The smart design and functionality of these bags is unbelievable. Like for example, there is a luggage sleeve on the land and carry all for traveling hands-free. There's a protective laptop and tablet sleeves to protect your tech. There's an external phone slip pocket. There's a detachable key lash. You don't lose your keys. I mean, it's unbelievable. Variety of materials are used like neoprene leather, vegan leather, in addition to eco-friendly materials like organic cotton and recycled poly made from plastic bottles. Perfect for gift giving. They're the chicest. And if you want 10% off these fabulous bags, just use code BEST. Also, year-round, Dagny offers their 20% off Heroes discount to teachers, troops, vets, and healthcare workers. Just use code BEST for 10% off if you're a first-time customer. Sackville & Co. is a female-founded, design-forward cannabis lifestyle brand making products that beg to be displayed instead of stashed away. Because it is time to elevate your stash Sackville & Co. has changed the cannabis and CBD accessories game with design accolades from literally all of the best like Architectural Digest, Hype Bay, L in Style, and Vogue, just to name a few. Whether you're a connoisseur or just curious, Sackville has not only beautiful products, but a ton of information on their site to make sure you feel comfortable at whatever stage of creating your cannabis ritual you are at now. I have one of their trays and on it is displayed a very chic grinder and a very glorious little pre-roll. So anyone who wants to come over can feel chic and comfortable. Sackville & Co. donates 5% of their sales to The Tender Project, an incredible organization working to bring a universal income to women who have been disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs. For all of our California angels, Sackville & Co. also has recently launched pre-rolls, night haze for the chill nights in and beach days for those sunshine-filled hangs with your friends. Follow them on Instagram to find out more about where you can purchase them. Hi, I'm Dr. Will Cole. As a leading functional medicine practitioner, I have had the unique position to see so many alchemize their pain and health problems to their purpose. Now I want the same for you. This podcast is the manifesto for a new breed of health seekers, where there is a fresh infusion of grace and lightness into wellness. This is the art of being well. Join me every Thursday for a new episode. What do you think is a good... Like, what would you suggest? I want to play devil's advocate here for a a mom or potential new mother who is listening, a birthing person who decides, you know, knows that they want a hospital birth, Mm -hmm. but wants all the benefits of having a doula or just some sort of support through their pregnancy and their birth. I think that they are doulas are most needed in the hospitals, to be honest. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like if you're having a home birth, you're going to have a midwife and you're going to have a birth assistant. You're going to ha- be in this like really calm place for you because you're in your own environment. I think the place that people really need to have doulas is actually in the hospital because what, when you're at home, if you're trying to birth at home as long as possible, and obviously the reasons for doing that is you're less likely to have interventions, you're less likely to, you know, end up in cesarean because- Part of my interruption, to, did you give birth at home? I've had two hospital births and one home birth okay. and all chosen that way. Okay. So my first birth was a hospital birth. It's my first. And I was just like, I didn't feel comfortable enough to have a home birth. I felt afraid. My second birth was at home. It was planned. And thankfully it was because she was born in 50 minutes. <laughs> So we wouldn't have made it to the hospital. Amazing. Um, we barely made it to having a midwife there. And my third, 
by choice, I wanted to go to the hospital because I personally didn't want to birth with my other kids around. I just was like, I can't imagine being in pain and someone asking for a sandwich. Like I just, (laughs) (laughs) I can't do that. And I don't want to hear my husband making anyone sandwiches. Like he needs to be all on me duty. Like (laughs) That's so funny. Whenever we would watch the birthing videos and there'd be other kids around, my mom would be like, what are those kids doing? They need to be I think it can be beautiful. Like I've been at birth where the whole family's there and the kids are involved. And I, I think it's beautiful for me. I need quiet. I need to like get into this mind space of like, I am like creating life here. Like I needed to be this (laughs) certain type of environment and like, Mm -hmm. it does not include making sandwiches or going outside. Like, no. And so I just felt for me because my daughter was almost two. my son was 10 at the time. I was just like, I just, yeah, I don't want that. And after having the baby, I just like felt like it'd be easier for my husband kind of like to bring the kids to me and like hang out and then go home and like the nurses were going to take care of me. Yeah. And I would say all like my births were great births, you know, and I don't think that being in the hospital had a bearing on that. And I think that unfortunately, and I blame, I actually blame this on my industry on doulas who kind of created this idea that like, you can't get a good experience in the hospital. And I think it's more about who you choose to be a part of your birthing team that has more of a effect on that than necessarily home versus hospital. It's where you're most comfortable. Absolutely. And I think that's an important point to bring up because it almost seems like, like it's us against them. It's like the hospital. We have to protect ourselves from the hospital. And I think I because of who I was around in my pregnancy and certain people in my life had knew I wanted a hospital birth, but definitely had this, like, they're going to try to fuck me over there. And as soon as I got to the hospital, I had a bad triage experience, but whatever, Mm -hmm. it was not anyone's fault. It's just life stuff. But then once we were in, I felt so safe and protected and being Mm -hmm. around all those nurses was Mm -hmm. so helpful and they were so wonderful. Mm -hmm. And really caring and like do this all day long. And I thought to myself, wow, like I had kind of come in here with like a bad attitude and, and I felt like there was a tension between my like team and those nurses that yeah. And like, I can't completely take hospitals off the hook because they do do a lot of like effery to women. Like yes. their bottom, they're about their bottom line, necessarily about their love of women and their choices. No, and so about money and not getting have to have a healthy fear of not being taken advantage of, but not getting the whole story. And if you're not educated on the process and on the procedures, policies, et cetera, you can easily get into situations where it's not in your best interest doesn't mean they're trying to kill you or they're trying to do something, but it's just not in your best interest or what's best for your body and your baby. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's why doulas are so important because they get to bridge that gap, particularly if you're picking someone who doesn't see the hospital as their adversary. I've never been that kind of doula. Like if someone needs to cut me open, I want a doctor to do that. <laughs> like, you yes, know, absolutely. at the same time, I don't want us to be doing it willy nilly. Like, mm-hmm. let me do this in the way that's best for my body and my recovery. And not because you got like a game to go to, or, you know, one of my clients told me that while she was pushing for like a thousand hours and it was just not working, she could hear the doctor saying, I guess I'm not going to get that lobster roll now. No. Yes. So oh my God. 
this is what we deal with. And so it's true. And so, you know, even for me, like as a black woman, it's true. Black women are dying in childbirth. Absolutely. That's not the only story because I've had three kids and I've come home and alive and I have three healthy kids. And so that's the story I want black women to hear. But I myself dealt with an issue with my third baby. And if I didn't have the background that I have, if I didn't have a doula and a husband, it could have ended very differently if there wasn't advocating going on. Because mm-hmm. no one was, yeah. I I mean, I definitely think what you're doing to to bridge that gap is incredibly, I mean, you're doing the right, perfect combo of all things. And I think that having that support, I mean, there was so much that I learned even about, you know, if we don't like a nurse, if a nurse is in there with a bad attitude, mm-hmm. we are absolutely allowed to ask her to leave. Yes. If the doctor is saying something needs to happen, like my water broke, I didn't go to the hospital. We mm-hmm. lied to her, which I do not suggest, but I was under the care of a midwife because I had a midwife act as a doula who came over and we you know, did everything we can for 10 hours to go into labor naturally because I you know, didn't want a C-section. Not that it's a bad thing. I was just hoping to do it on my own. And we were able to do that. Although I went right into active labor with no transitional labor and the pain was excruciating and everything yeah. that I learned <laughs> to do for the six months went out the fucking window. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, that was over three minutes, three contractions ago. What do we do now? There I just want to no say breathing. what you said. You were like, now that's a bad thing. And I feel like we've gotten to this place where we can't have real conversations. No, because Having the it isn't a good a thing. Yeah. Doesn't mean you did something bad because you had a cesarean, but no one should be striving to have major abdominal surgery. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like we watered this down as if we're shaming people by saying it's not the optimal outcome for a birth. Mm -hmm. And we got to stop that. Like women don't understand what happens to your body when you have a cesarean. If you can avoid it, you should by all means be avoiding it. Now, if you are in danger, your baby is in danger, have the cesarean. It's great that we have the ability to do that, to save lives. But so often it happens not in our best interest. It it happens out of like fear of litigation or whatever the case Mm -hmm. may be. And so I think that being able to say, it's not always easy. Like people tell the stories about like, oh, you know, my friend had a cesarean. I had a cesarean a day later. I was fine. There's also a story where people are not fine months Mm -hmm. and weeks and days after. And I think that like we've gotten to this place of like not, you know, quote unquote, wanting to shame people, but I think women deserve to hear the truth. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a major... It's a major surgery. Not being able to... It's major surgery. It's just like... Cutting through all of your abdominal muscles is a big deal. And I think that people don't, it's kind of just like, oh, you get the little tiny incision. It's like not a big deal now. Well, in the 90s, it was like the thing. I mean, I have family members that had scheduled C-sections because they wanted a controlled birth. Yeah. Or like, I wanted to come on my dad's birthday or whatever. Like, and not to say that still doesn't happen. Most doctors won't do that, but some will, will still. But I just think we have to like be be honest with people that yes, you could be completely fine a day later and have the best experience, but you also could have scar tissue and have physical therapy and have infection in your wound and like not feel good. And, you know, have, you know, PT that you need to do because you have your abdominal muscles aren't coming back together. And I think that, you know, I want women to have the information. I want birthing people to have the information and then you decide, and then no one should be shaming your decision, but at least you have all the information. How long did you, I know this is 
a random question and there's a million factors here, but how long did you like breastfeed your third child for? Uh, a little over two years. So what are, how can, okay. So I, I, I thought I would breastfeed for at least a year. That was mm-hmm. if my mom did with me. Mm-hmm. She had to stop because my teeth got too sharp. It would go, it was like her nipples were being grinded off. And every, she would yelp and then I would get scared. And then I got scared to breastfeed and it kind of was a natural departure. Mm-hmm. I lasted two months and it's something that I feel I've accepted that I'm not going to shame myself because I made the right decision for myself and my family. So I like the, like my sadness over it. I've worked through which is why I'm not like getting emotional about it, but it was very hard for me, but I couldn't work and breastfeed. It was Mm -hmm. so physically challenging. It was Mm -hmm. emotionally trying. I was in front of a, like I've never sat and breastfed her in her room. Like all my friends were like, make sure the chair is cozy and your charger is there and you have water next then make your station. And I was like, there was no station. I was at my desk with a pillow, naked milk, sticky everywhere with me on zooms without the camera on. So I would like, I'm just like wondering for like working moms who would like to breastfeed as long as possible. Do you have any tips? <laughs> like, yes. Yeah, so I mean, what you're talking about is not a breastfeeding issue. It's a society issue in that we don't have a safety net after birth. Mm-hmm. You know, I guarantee if you had three to four months just at home to bond with baby and to breastfeed and to break, you wouldn't have had the issue. What you're dealing with is having to run a company or to work or to go into your nine to five Mm -hmm. and, you know, pump during meetings and do this and do that. And that's what becomes overwhelming. Like the modern way in which women are expected to be able to breastfeed. You know, I'll say from the beginning, like I've always worked for myself. I have a very flexible schedule. And so that made it more attainable for me to be able to kind of like just go with it, you know, as long as possible, you know, but I think that so many women don't have that. They're going back to work anywhere from two to six weeks postpartum, if not days after they have a baby. And that's just not how it was meant to be done. If you look at any indigenous, you know, community or, you know, traditional societies, Mm -hmm. You weren't even leaving your bed for 40 days, let alone being on a Zoom or being on your computer. And so, so much of what people talk about the the hard part of breastfeeding is just that our society isn't set up to support new families, not to support breastfeeding families, because there's so much that we have to do just to survive. There isn't a safety net. And so in countries where there is more of a safety net, where people have more time off, regardless if you're self-employed or working a W-2 kind of uh, we see that they have longer breastfeeding rates. We see that people report more satisfaction in parenting because there is a societal responsibility. Like people mm. feel a responsibility to families to give you a certain minimum level of support, whether that's providing, you know, government sponsored in-home support. Like my friends in, in Amsterdam, like there's someone that comes eight hours a day and cleans and helps and helps you with breastfeeding and educates you and teaches you and cleans your kitchen, does all your laundry. Like they're doing all of those things and like the government's paying for that. You know, you have so, in France. so far away from Yes, home. it's so away it's from like, like reality. Outlandish. It's just like, <laughs> you can't even stay sometimes 24 hours at the hospital here, let alone get support. A friend of mine, we were, oh my God, we were at a dinner party a couple months ago 
And she gave birth at 1159. And because it wasn't midnight, they kicked them out of the hospital. Like she was got to, it was considered three days. Yeah. And they couldn't keep her there longer. So he yeah. was like, we were just sent home as new parents oh, after only being there for two days and not knowing what the fuck to do with our child. Yeah. My first baby, I came home after 18 hours. Whoa. Yeah. And it was just like, there's nothing happening here. Like, why would I stay here? Like, I'm not getting like real support. Mm. And, you know, and I hadn't had like, they didn't have to monitor me. Like I hadn't had medication. I wasn't under any kind of, you know, thing where they had to like watch me. So they were like, yeah, if you want to go, go. We were like ready to leave. I was ready. Yeah. We were, didn't, we were ready to go. I had a great nurse who taught me great tips on how to breastfeed and -hmm. and Carmela caught it quickly. And I got Uh like, it was cute. Like when we got home, I was like trying to get her latch and my husband was like, no, no, no. Remember you have to go from here. I love it. He had been empowered and we still talk to that nurse. We talk almost every day on Instagram now. So tips, I just want to say that, like what you just mentioned has made me think of that. Get your partner involved if you have one. That's Mm. my first tip. Mm -hmm. Like we think of nursing as like a birthing parent child dyad, but it's the family needs to get Mm -hmm. involved in this. Like it can be difficult in the beginning. So if there's people that are around you that are saying negative things or like, would it just be easy for you to give a bottle? Like you don't need to hear that when your nipples are inflamed or Mm -hmm. when like, it doesn't feel like it's going well. You need a lactation consultant. So many people have a negative experience with breastfeeding or with lactation because they didn't have the support and like they just didn't have a good latch or they weren't making milk because they got bad information about how that process works. And so having someone who's educated to say, Hey, these are your options. If you do this this is what can happen. So for example, you know, being in lactation, I'll definitely usually go to people when they already have a problem and I'll hear some of the advice that they've gotten. I'm just like, you know, all of this could have been avoided if you just would have had the right information. So I'll come to someone, they'll say like, Oh, my night nurse said that I don't have to like breastfeed at night. I can just pump. You know, and yes, you can do that at some point. The first week or two, you cannot if you want to maintain a good uh, amount of like, you know, of milk production. And so mm-hmm. now you're seven days in and all those like hormones that were in play to increase your supply didn't get like the kind of stroking that they needed to be able to like really work as they should. And so now we're having to go down this whole road of increasing milk supply when literally just one piece of information would have changed their entire trajectory. Unbelievable. Yeah. Our next partner has a product that you all know that I use every day because I'm constantly posting about it. I wake up, I pour a glass of water for myself, Davide and my mom, and I put one scoop of athletic greens and mix it up because just one scoop, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, and whole food source superfoods and probiotics and adaptogens. It's the perfect way to start your day. The special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, your recovery, your focus, aging. I mean, if you take it consistently and then stop taking it, you can absolutely feel the difference. It's lifestyle friendly. So you can consume athletic greens. If you're a keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, my favorite thing about this is that it contains less than one gram of sugar. There are no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything while still tasting good. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. It's just one thing that you can do every single day to take great care of yourself. And it costs you less than $3 a day. So it's cheaper than your coffee habit. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health, 
and arm your immune system. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash best four. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash best four to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. What goes great with a summer vibe? How about a checking account with no monthly fees? Like a cool breeze, Chime is a refreshing way to handle your money with no monthly fees, no maintenance fees, no minimum balance fees. It's how banking should be. And when you need to access your money, you can do so fee-free at more than 60,000 in-network ATMs at many locations like Walgreens, 7-Eleven, and even CVS. You can also send money to anyone, even if they aren't on time. That is fee-free for you and no cash-out fees for them, which is incredible. Chime has no monthly fees, no vibe-killing fees. You can sign up for a Chime checking account. It takes only two minutes and does not affect your credit score. So go get started at chime.com slash best. That is chime.com slash best. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by and debit card issued by the Bancorp Bank or Stride Bank. Members FDIC, out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees apply except at Money Mass ATM in a 7-Eleven location and at any all point or Visa Plus Alliance ATM. Other fees such as third-party cash and deposit fees may apply. I know so many people who... Yeah, so what are... what? You, what is your, what are we, what's the vibe between like pumping and, and feeding? <laughs> so, you know, I have all the gamma. I have some clients who don't breastfeed at all and they only pump. Okay. I have some babies who can't breastfeed because they're preemies or whatever the case may be. They're not latching well. There's some kind of tongue tie issue. And so they might be pumping. And so what people need to know about producing milk, it's all supply and demand. Yes. If your body's not getting the demand, either with a baby on your breast or with, you know, pumping, your body's going to say, oh, you know what, all that milk we're making, let's take it down because we don't actually need to produce that much because no one's asking for that much. And so if you are, for example, sleeping for five hours and just pumping in the middle of the night and like, maybe you're getting milk out, but what's going to happen over time? And then it's going to reduce in the beginning. If you don't optimize those first two to four weeks, that's when your hormones are going to be at their highest level. Mm. And those are the hormones needed to produce milk to like make things happen. And then they drop like, let's say four weeks or so after you have the baby. And so that first two to four weeks is like your golden time to like really get a healthy production going to get your baby's latch worked out. Like any of those issues, we want to see those getting worked out in that first two to three weeks. And so pumping can be great. Obviously, if you're going to work and you can't be with your baby and you have to miss feedings, that would be a great time to pump. If you are trying to store for the future. Like I know I got to be at work in three months. I'm going to like breastfeed this baby. And since I have this extra milk, I'm going to like take that extra and start putting it away. So I have a little bit of arsenal built before I go back to work. I have some clients who have emotional trauma. Maybe they were assaulted as an adult or as a child and breastfeeding just brings up a lot of triggers for them and they're not able to actually physically have a baby at the breast. And so for them, pumping is great. They just have to treat it the same way that you with breastfeeding, meaning they're doing eight or more times a day in 24 hours, particularly in that first two to three weeks, just as if their baby was feeding, they would be pumping. And that's what they're doing to kind of increase that supply over time. And so it is possible to 
exclusively pump. You just have to, in the beginning, really treat it like you would nursing and be pumping quite frequently. When you're seeing that baby's wanting more, pumping longer, increasing, et cetera, over time. And it does work. I have people who ex- exclusively do this for you know a year and it works for them. But if you're trying to breastfeed in the beginning, those first two weeks, and I know that a lot of you heard the exact opposite from your hospital nurses, you should not be pumping in those first two weeks unless you have to. Your baby's stronger than the pump. You know, we don't talk about the fact that breastfeeding is also like a mind-body thing. Mm -hmm. And so your body's going to release and let down differently to your warm, fuzzy baby than to a machine. Mm -hmm. And so in the beginning, that's going to be the most important factor if you are nursing and you want to nurse long-term to actually just get your baby at the breast for those first two weeks. Feeding on demand in the beginning as much as kind of possible. And I know I talked about like at night, not feeding on demand, but we were feeding quite frequently. So if my baby was like hungrier during the day, then obviously like if I've done all the things and I realize they want more, then I'm going to feed them more. And that's really what it is. There's nothing wrong with pumping, but those first two weeks, if your goal is to breastfeed, you really want to lean on that unless you need to pump for like engorgement or... Yeah. So that's know. my next question. So, I mean, you're like my dream scenario, which is getting baby to sleep and being able to breastfeed. Yeah. What what happened? So you said you're you could get them to sleep almost the day by like six weeks. So yeah. what are you doing with your boobs during the night? So in the beginning, I had to pump because my body was still like, hey, it's party time. It's been four hours. Let's get this show on the road. Mm-hmm. And then over time, I would be able myself to go longer and longer. So the same way that my baby was going longer and longer, little by little, I was doing that. I wouldn't recommend making these like jumps from like feeding every two hours to going six hours all of a sudden, or you're going to end up with plug ducts and really sore boobs. And so I did have to pump sometimes, but you know, let's say by, let's say six to eight weeks, I was pretty much on the same routine as my little one. Now, after like say a 10 p.m. feed or 11 p.m., I would always pump because I knew that would be going a little bit of a longer stretch. So I would you know, do that feeding and then I'm just a person who goes to bed late. So around either right after that feeding or before midnight, I would pump just so that I could make it to that next feeding, which initially was our first milestone was getting to the four hour mark. And the reason I say that's a big deal is because if you're doing a dream feed at 10, let's say, and you get to like, my first goal is four hours, what essentially happens is you end up with one middle of the night feeding because you're only doing 2 a.m. and then it was morning time. Yep. So it feels so good to your body to do it that way. A lot of people make the mistake of doing it from say what they think bedtime is like seven or eight. That's when I'm awake. Like, I don't want you doing your longest stretch from, you know, seven to midnight. Like, I want that happening in the middle yes. of the night. And so, so you can sleep. Exactly. So little details like that is how you kind of push things to being able to go longer. But there is some portion where you're going to have to pump, particularly one, if you're trying to put milk aside for mm-hmm. the future. And if you're a big producer, you just will be able to make it. I was able to get her, like, I was like you, where I would go to bed around like midnight, and I was waking, like, so I, we were doing, you know, six, nine, 12, three, six, nine. So for me, uh-huh. if I, like all my friends were like, how are you not dying? And I was like, well, we're feeding every three hours. I feed her at nine. Then my husband and I would like be cozy in bed and maybe like watch something and uh-huh. talk about the day. And then I would feed her at midnight and then he'd change her diaper. We'd go to sleep. And then it was just three and then six. I was up. And if I Uh needed to take a nap after that, I would, or I would supplement my sleep in the afternoon. But I was like, 
a lot of my friends are big sleepers who would, would you know, I have friends who go to bed at like nine. I mean, I'm still working. I'm, I like to get a second shift of working because my brain at the end of the night. So I was like, so really I was waking up once where they would have had to wake up almost at, at least twice if not exactly. three because they were just people who were getting more sleep than me. So exactly. I also kind of trained myself that way. Like I would take naps during the day when I was pregnant, if I was tired, especially on the first trimester, I was out everywhere. But I was like, I don't know. Like I, I like it, my schedule didn't adjust. Even when I was pregnant, I was going to bed around midnight, you know? Yeah. Like, like that's just my schedule. I like to go to bed later. And yeah. if, if I take a nap during the day, if I'm tired, I think it's just the, the pace of life that people don't necessarily want to adjust to, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but like, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I personally don't, you know, I have my friends are just like, Oh, my kids too. We got to get them out of our bed. And I'm like, that sounds like a nightmare to me. You know, it's a weird thing that I'm scared about that I shouldn't and I need to let go. I would like to obviously try to breastfeed for a lot longer with my next baby. And I'm scared. Oh, it makes me, I'm scared that I'm going to be like more bonded to that baby. Like I feel bad that I know. only got too much. Like I just, I'm like, I don't want another kid to have anything quote unquote more yeah. than she had because she's my perfect little angel child, you know? But I, I will say like, she chose that. Oh. What if you could release that idea that you chose it and say that maybe she chose because that? Because I did, because my engorged tits were squeezing milk. Like I was just squeezing good milk out into a sink. But I believe that like, children choose their parents. They choose yes. their experiences. And so we might think that we have all of this control over a situation, but maybe that's what she needed and what mm, she mm-hmm. was good with. And like, that's what was going to make you a better parent for her in this part of your lives when you're running businesses and doing all the things like that's what she needed to get the best of you. Mm. And so there doesn't have to be that comparison. Like one of my children is circumcised and the other one isn't. And <gasps> it took me a long time not to cry about that, but oh, wow. I used the information I had at that time and thought I was making the right decision. Like now I cannot cry about it, but I felt mm-hmm. so much and I obviously can't take that back. I cannot give you foreskin back yeah. <laughs> and it feels terrible. And like one day, like we're going to have these conversations, like why one had this and why the other one didn't. And it's just because we're fallible people and I didn't know everything and I was learning mm-hmm. and I did something different, but I can't, I look at it like this. When you know something that you can do better or give something better to another child, why would you refrain from giving that as not to like give something to your child? Yes. It's like, that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. sounds worse. That's- and so I feel like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I understand the feeling, yes, but it's like, <laughs> I'm going to keep you from the good thing just so you guys can be even. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's and- actually like a shitty decision. Yeah. <laughs> So I think we're you're going to be fine. Now. Oh, you love that milk? That's cool. I have all the resources to breastfeed you this time, but you're cut off. Sorry, you can't. <laughs> yeah, like, and, and the thing is that every, you know, my mom always says like, oh, we'd be like, oh, it's not fair. And she's like, it's not supposed to be fair. Everyone gets what they need when they need it. Yep. It is time to invest in taking care of our minds the same way we take care of anything else, like an animal or our car, even any of the things that we have. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain and you can learn a new language. You can take a power nap and there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. I come from a place of therapy. I've been going to therapy since I was young. And I remember when I moved to New York when I was 18, it was the first time I lost you know, my therapist because of a location. And that should never be an issue. It should never be that you have to get in your car and drive. I mean, it's a lot of the reason why people avoid going to therapy, I think. So 
BetterHelp eliminates that because it is online therapy. It offers video, phone, and even live chat only therapy sessions. You don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours, which I just think is incredible. The last couple of years, obviously with COVID and work stress, it's become mandatory for my husband and I to make sure that we are taking care of our brains. And we do that very easily by implementing better health into our lives. And I encourage you to do the same. I recommend it to everyone in my family and all of my friends and our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash Pia. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Pia. You know, I would love to touch on really quickly because now this is, you know, now I have a 14 month old and we're entering this new zone Mm -hmm. of gentle parenting, Mm -hmm. um, which I have found this is so embarrassing, but the best resource is actually like, I look at like the gentle parenting hashtag on TikTok and I see Mm -hmm. all these really incredible techniques. Can you explain what that is and the, and the benefits of it? Yeah. I think there's so many misconceptions. Like when people hear gentle parenting, a lot of times they actually hear attachment parenting. Mm. And I always like to tell people like no one has this monopoly over attachment. This is not about having a specific philosophy or someone's opinion that you're following. Gentle parenting is really about being respectful to your child, creating children with emotional intelligence and basically just not breaking their spirit. Like and this the way doesn't that we mean talk you don't have them. a backbone, by the way. doesn't mean that you don't set limits with your children. Mm-hmm. It just means that I don't set limits that involve shaming or physical violence. And, but yeah, it doesn't mean that my kids can say whatever they want. They can do whatever they want. But like, you know, for me, I grew up in the South, you know, in a black family. And, mm-hmm. you know, when I first started talking about the fact that like, I'm not going to spank my kid, they were just like, what? Like, what? Like, you know, but this is insane. Like, why would you do this? I'm just like, if I told you right now that my husband was hitting me, what would you all tell me to go do? Like, they probably like want to come beat him up or like they'd want Mm -hmm. me to call the police or whatever. Uh, How do we think that's okay to do that with small children? And I understand why from my parents' point of view, you know, the world that they grew up in the States was one where a lot of black children don't get to make mistakes. And Mm -hmm. so part of that need to like super control, hyper control was coming from a a place of fear. Like I want to make sure that my kid doesn't get into trouble. Mm -hmm. They get into trouble outside of this house. They could end up dead. That's what can happen. Yep. And so I understand that, but I had to kind of reprogram myself and decolonize myself to say like, I'm not living in that same environment. Doesn't mean that those things are possible to happen. I had to decolonize myself. Yeah, I did. You know, so many things that I adopted in my own personal life or just my parenting came from a place of fear that my parents 100% were entitled to feel. And it came from a place of wanting to protect, Mm -hmm. but I'm not in that space right now. And so, you know, I had to kind of think about like my kids' safety and what I want them to believe about the world and about their safety. Mm. And I want them to see me and my husband in our home as the safest place on earth. And so- that meant creating an environment where we don't shame them, creating an environment like, I don't want my kids to be afraid of me. I want them to respect me and what I'm asking them to do, but not out of fear. And so when people talk about gentle parenting, we're talking about setting limits in ways that are not power over, but really this idea of like, this isn't set in place because of this reason. Like, you know, when we used to ask our parents, like, because I told you so, like that would not be part of gentle parenting. (laughs) Because this is actually unsafe and I'm concerned that this is going to happen to you. Does it mean I have to go into like a 20 minute, you know, definition of every time I ask my kids to do something? No. But I think the relationship that I'm building with them is something that's going to 
go on well past you having a 14 month old or a 15 month old, like my barometer for being a good parent is going to be like, do they want to hang out with us when they have the choice? Yeah, you know, well, when they're adults mm-hmm. and they want to hang out with us, they want to come see us, they answer our call. And I think what I'm doing now is in hopes that that remains, that we can actually be friends, but they also see me as, you know, an elder and, and someone that they respect. Can you give examples of this? Because a lot of people, I mean, I, I, gentle parenting is completely new to me too. Like, like with a tantrum or if, you know, you're in the store, so the I, I want that or, you know. Well, the first part of gentle parenting is for yourself to get educated one on your own story. Okay. And so I tell people when you're beginning, you need to parent from the inside out. You need to actually figure out like, you know, were you allowed to ask questions? What happened when you made a mistake? Like, Mm. Figure out all that out. What do that do you want to take into your kit, your parenting? What don't you want to take? Once you're able to do that, you get to be aware of your triggers. Like I wasn't allowed to like show being upset or being angry as a kid. And so when my kids display those kind of things, like I know that's going to be a trigger for me because automatically, you know, all of us have been to a parenting class and that was your childhood. Mm. And so if you don't have that story, you don't know what it is subconsciously, you're going to react out of what you've been trained to do from your own childhood. And so my initial reaction would want to be to shut that down. Like, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. Like, that's disrespectful. And now I can be, you know what? I understand that you're upset. It's okay to be upset, but this is what's going to be allowed in our house. Like, we're not going to throw things. Or if you Mm -hmm. have a toddler that's having a tantrum, you know, I know that you're feeling upset about X, Y, but we're not able to hit our head against the floor because you're going to hurt yourself. I'm going to be with you until you're able to calm down. It's not about me punishing them for having what is a normal response for someone at their age and development level. Mm -hmm. So the second part that you have to actually understand ages and stages, you know, you can't expect for a two-year-old to sit in a place for six hours and not make a peep and then punish them when they don't do that. Mm -hmm. It's that kind of stuff that allows you to parent them from a place of understanding where they are developing wise. And so if my kid's having a tantrum, I'm not yelling at them. I'm not smacking them for having the tantrum. I'm usually trying to redirect. I'm doing things that are developmentally appropriate. So one easy tip that your listeners can do is what I call being a sensory detective. Most of us have some one of our senses that are stronger than others, that we're soothed by that. So for some kids, it could be touching something is soothing to them. Like, so if your Mm. kid has like a blanket or a doll they like to hold, they're probably someone who's tactile and gets soothed by touch or touching things. Maybe touching something that is like rough or soft or whatever that can help them to kind of regulate their emotions. Maybe your child is like auditory senses, like they like music, they like hearing your voice, like you singing to them. Mm-hmm. You got to figure out what that is for your kid and use those kind of tools when they're having what we would call like big feelings or having a tantrum to calm them versus punishing them or shaming them for having what is a really normal response given the development of their brain. I can't tell you how much of a relief learning about this has been. It, even this morning, like I, I showed Davide a, a few, and he grew up in Sicily the, of dad who was an elevator mechanic and a lot of kids. And like, you know, they had to like, they did, had not have a lot of resources. They had no hot water. They, mm-hmm. it, it was a very... And his dad, his father grew up in an orphanage. So his dad did the best that he knew, but mm-hmm. it was kids are seen and not heard. Mm-hmm. You know, lots of spankings, lots of belts, you know, stuff that that is normal for lots of families. And so talk about creating like a loving, happy environment. If we're not triggered by her big feelings, like my cortisol isn't spiking, we're mm-hmm. cruising. So if she, and now, and 
we've started to practice it. So even this morning she was crawling around and there's a, our front door is open to the patio and there's a step. And so I caught Davide doing it. It was amazing. So he said, no. And then I caught him going, no, no, nicely. He said, no, kind of sternly. And then he caught himself and he said, no, he said, Carmela, if you go down those steps, you can hurt yourself. And so he was explaining to mm-hmm. her what could happen instead of, we don't do that. We're not doing that. And now I notice every time she does something like, hey, let's stay, don't put your finger over there because like you can get electrocuted, you'll get hurt of you. Like mm-hmm. literally it's, it sounds so simple, but instead of just saying no, and over here, we don't, it's so like, okay, we're just going to move on to this. Or like we, he's learned to like redirect her. If she gets upset, we were, brought her to dinner the other night. She started getting upset and he was like, oh no, we should go. And I said, she's just having some big feelings. And I looked at her and I started singing old McDonald's. And she just lit up and was completely redirected and then went back to eating afterwards. And I was like, there we go. We're so eight. you triggered that auditory sense for her that helped her to calm. Yes. And knowing that, so I tell people like a dysregulated brain can't calm another dysregulated brain. So mm-hmm. if you're freaking out and screaming and they're having a tantrum, no one's going to get calmed down. You're not going to rectify the situation. Whereas if I can go in and speak really calmly and continue to keep this really like even tone it's almost like hypnosis in that they can actually calm down just by the sound of your voice and your calm. They can kind of just basically feed off of mm-hmm. your calm. I always tell my clients that calm is contagious and it really is. Doesn't mean that I'm not upset that my kid is like acting a certain way in these places or that we're having this disagreement or that's not difficult. And you can voice that as well. You don't have to pretend you're happy about something. Totally. I do give real feelings like, you know what, I'm getting a bit upset and frustrated because I've asked for you to do this several times. You haven't been able to listen. And so what I'm going to do is this. I'm not going to, we're not going to be able to go to the park until I get, you know, X, Y, and Z thing done. And being able to have conversations where they can start to understand feelings, understand communication and conversation. These are lifelong interpersonal skills mm-hmm. that we really are their first teachers. And so gentle parenting is all about that. Like what kind of human do you want to put into the world? We have to fill them up with that now. Are there any tips that you would give a birthing person calm through pregnancy and afterwards? Is there anything that, because it is a very stressful time. Yeah. And obviously it's important to be as calm as you can while you're pregnant mm-hmm. and postpartum, you know, is there anything that you've even noticed that you or that you practice to just implement yeah. some sort of Yeah, I mean, I always say I'm a bit biased on this because I'm just, I'm, I'm a pr- fairly calm person by nature, which is probably mm. why I do this work. What sign are you? I'm a Sagittarius. Yeah. All of you are so, calm. The truth is what I tell people and like the way that I started saying this calm is contagious is that I would do sleep stuff like virtually and like they, I tell them to do stuff and like it wouldn't work well. And I'm just like, you know, I just need to get over there. Like this doesn't make sense to me. And so I would go do the same thing I told them to do. And then the baby would just sleep. And they were like, I like, what kind of sorcerer is this? Like I did exactly what you just did. And I'm telling you this kid would not sleep. And I was just like, it's not what I'm doing or saying. It's what I'm thinking and feeling. That's what you're, that's what he's connecting to. And so, you know, to be honest, I'm always expecting the best outcome. And I know that's hard for people if you have like oh, cool. an actual anxiety disorder, you have something like diagnosed. I know that's a hard thing to do, but I'm generally always expecting the best thing. I'm expecting they're going to sleep. I'm expecting they're going to stop crying. I'm expecting that they're going to get past this fussy phase. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the key of like getting your yourself to a place of realizing that even in the moment, like this is not going to be forever. It's just a phase. It's just a moment. And you expect for it to be different. 
so were your child. And I know it's you know, it's hard for people to hear that, but it really is a mindset versus an actual skill set. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. I feel like we need to do more of these. <laughs> I know. Like There's I can just so talk about much. all the time. And like I can save us so much heartache. Love to have you on, especially when I'm hopefully knock on wood, pregnant again. God willing. Um, thank you so much. Where can everybody find you? So they can find me on my podcast, which is Dear Doula, which is wherever where you listen to podcasts. We're both on Dear Media Network. On social media, on Instagram, I'm Brandy with an I underscore Jordan underscore official. And then my company, if you're looking for actual in-home support for mm-hmm. people like myself, is The Cradle Company. And we're at thecradlecompany.com. All right. Thank you. Wait, I want you to, I'm going to end this, but stay on because I have a couple more questions. No, of course. Anytime. (laughs) (laughs) And that, ladies and gentlemen, concludes this week's episode of Everything is the Best. I hope you enjoyed it. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff. Maybe leave a comment. But remember, shitty comments are for shitty people. Go ahead and follow me on Instagram at Pia Baranchini. And I hope you have a fabulous, fabulous rest of your day. Love you. Ciao.